in the spirit of reconciliation. Herbert Smith Freehills acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Hi everyone, I'm Michael Vrasak as a partner in the Herbert Smith Freehills Financial Services team. Welcome to our podcast series called the FSR GPS. This series focuses on topical and emerging issues in financial services regulation, which we think are the most strategic and important issues for our clients. Feel free to suggest topics you would like us to cover in the future, but for now, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hi everyone, I'm Charlotte Henry, a partner here at HSF in the financial services regulatory team, focusing on the non-contentious side of regulation. And I'm joined here by my fellow partner, Andrew. Hi everyone, I'm Andrew Eastwood, a partner in the disputes group uh, here at HSF with a focus on contentious regulatory issues, especially in the financial services sector. So today on FSR GPS, we'll be discussing the government's consultation on the SCAMS code framework. Um, The audio you're about to hear is from our recent webinar on this topic. So um, apologies if it isn't the best quality. We hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, Please do reach out if you have any questions on the draft SCAMS code framework and how best to prepare your organisation. Thank you. So today is a very quick canter through the recent consultation that the government put out in relation to the SCAMS code framework. Let's get started. So just to set the scene, so obviously as we know, SCAMS has been one of the biggest issues in the Australian market for well over a year now, longer than that, ever since COVID meant that uh, we all got um, moved quickly to working, um, doing banking, communicating, digitally. One of the biggest issues uh, from all of that, of course, has been scams, and this has been a whole of government um, issue. Um, For those of you that attended the various conferences that there have been, you know, scams has been such an important focus of the trade associations, the regulators, um, the government. And this is the reason. So in the latest figures that um, have been published, you know, combined losses have well increased year on year. Um, exponentially so uh, from scams. The biggest category of losses have been for investment scams, uh, and that's where ASIC has its focus in relation to those types of scams. Worryingly, though, this is obviously just the tip of the iceberg um, because findings are still that this type of activity is very underreported. So there have been um, a lot of different regulators and trade associations looking at what they could be doing in this space. We also have the private sector that has stepped up and has done action uh, in relation to what they might do in relation to scams. But the government has always said that they would come out with what they think the approach to scams and the scam framework should be. And that's what this particular um, paper that they put out is meant to do. It's meant to send out the government's approach to how they're going to uh, regulate scams And I think the first thing that is interesting from the consultation that came out last week is that they are proposing to introduce a definition of scams. We currently don't have anything in legislation like this. Um, And so you can request notification or offer designed to obtain personal information or a financial benefit by deceptive means. So quite a broad definition with an express statement that it's not intended to capture unauthorized fraud. Obviously, we have the e-payments code uh, that deals with that. So investment scams, 
being the highest one that, that, that um, is occurring in the market at the moment. Romance scams, phishing, employment scams, uh, remote access scams as well. In terms of the principles that they want uh, to guide the framework and the development of the framework, there are three. So the first one is that it has to be a whole of ecosystem approach. So bringing in digital platforms, digital communication platforms, not just focusing on the banks or those that are compensating um, at the end of the scam. So a whole of ecosystem approach. They do want the sort of interconnectivity and interrelation between the different sectors to make sure that things are being approached in a similar way. And this is really interesting when you come to think about the EDR aspect that we'll talk about a little bit later. It must be flexible and responsive. So the ability to be able to change um, as new scams um, um, are developed, new, new players in the market are involved in scams. Uh, and then finally, they do want it to leverage off, off existing regimes and processes that they have at the moment. So as we know, the ACCC has got their digital platform inquiry, their multi-year inquiry that has been ongoing, and they want to leverage off the work that's been done as part of that. So what are they proposing? So this is the framework. There's going to be an overarching framework that'll apply in relation to the whole scam regulatory legislative infrastructure. And they're proposing to put this into um, the ACL, so into the Competition and Consumer Act, and the key regulator there will be the ACCC. Obviously, the ACCC has already got aspects of scams related activity that it's looking after with the National Anti-Scam um, Centre, the, uh, the watch um, list line that they have, uh, and all the work that they have been doing, they're doing the digital platform inquiry, so they already had government funding in relation to those aspects they're looking after. Uh, so they will take overall coverage and carriage in relation to um, the overall framework. But then there will be these sort of mandatory, um, so not voluntary, mandatory sector-focused codes that will be developed under that overarching framework. And they'll be divided into the bank sector, looked after by ASIC, the telco sector, the digital platform sector, and then leading space for future sectors. So that's the overall framework. And um, we're just going to touch on a few aspects of this um, in this session. So for the overarching framework, they do want it put into primary legislation. So it needs to be enforceable, um, it needs to be um, the entire ecosystem uh, involved, and it will apply identically both to banks, telcos, and digital platforms. Well, at least this is what the government's currently thinking at the moment. And in terms of the detail that will sit and that will go into the overarching framework, there are these four buckets um, that the government wants to <clears throat> see addressed. So first, a focus on prevention, then detection and disruption, then response, and finally reporting. So I think what's interesting on the first aspect about prevention is that there is, um, at the moment anyway, consulted on, a real focus on wanting to have an anti-scam strategy. And for those um, that have been involved in um, responding to ASIC's uh, questionnaires in relation to um, when they were looking into what banks were doing and what their approach to scams was. There was this focus on, on you know, what is the strategy? Um, and this seems to be different and separate from a broader fraud strategy, but a real focus on strategy. This will need to be a living, breathing document. It will need to um, have senior uh, approval, senior visibility, be shared both with senior managers, be shared with the ACCC. Uh, this will need to be backed up by anti-scam systems. Uh, all reasonable steps be taken to prevent scammers from misusing the services. 
Uh, you'll also need to build in how customers and consumers will be informed about scam safe practices and an element of training as well. So this is what they're expecting the strategy about preventing scams in a particular organisation uh, will involve. So a bit broader than what we have at the moment from, or a bit more focused, sorry, than what we have at the moment in relation to sort of fraud uh, more generally. <clears throat> and I don't know, Andrew, if you wanted to take a second to talk on that. Yeah, yeah, I think this, this requirement for a documented strategy is a, an important um, development that the businesses who are going to be subject to this framework are, are going to need to get their, their heads across. Um, I, I think, this is one of these things where each strategy is going to be specific to the particular business. It's not going to be something you can sort of just take off the shelf. It's going to be evolving, but it also, a business's strategy is going to have to be tailored to the particular sector that that business is in, the particular services that it provides, and the particular scams that it is seeing and having to deal with. Um, so that's one point is that I think it, it, it's not one size fits all in terms of these strategies. I, I think another is there could be real questions around well, what's supposed to be in this strategy or document. The, the, the consultation paper provides a little bit of guidance around that. I think another place though to look for some, some guidance on that is ASIC's report from April 23 early this year when it looked at the big four banks and there's um, some detail there around uh, what ASIC liked in a particular strategy that it saw that one of the banks had and it talked about how that strategy outlined customer education and awareness campaigns uh, increasing friction improving scam detect detection capabilities and the like but it also had measurable success targets for improving scam prevention and detection and improving the customer experience and how that was going to be measured as well. So I think if you're looking for guidance as to what this sort of so-called strategy needs to have, that's another place to look. And that's a really interesting point, Andrew, around the friction piece. Um, so now engagements with ASIC to date, bearing in mind the largest category of scams is investment scams. Now they've certainly been wanting firms to be talking about how they're introducing friction into their systems as a way of disrupting the scam and then preventing future scams, which obviously is um, has a bit of tension to where you know, payments and other types of systems are going, where it's all about making quicker, faster, safer. Uh, payments, this kind of concept of friction. That's certainly the language that they've been wanting to hear. On to the next bucket then. So strategy is all about prevention and uh, steps that will be taken to prevent scams. Then there's a focus on detection and disruption. And this is all about sort of systems. How is it going to be operationalized? What steps are businesses going to take? And as Andrew mentioned, the strategy is going to be bespoke to the business. So the steps that will be taken will obviously be bespoke to the business as well steps to detect, block, prevent, verify and trace, um, act timely on information that's given, disclose to consumers when they might be aware that they're a scam target and arm them with tools to verify in, in, in real time. And I guess the theme from all of this is, is that this is you know, gonna have a systems impact and potentially require investment in relation to uh, in, in businesses' systems but also trying to stay interconnected with other sources of information that there will be out there. Um, 
you know, there is that um, financial crime um, um, task force where uh, an intelligence task force where uh, people are sharing information. So it's kind of how are you taking all that information and connecting to places where you can get real-time information to then be able to share it um, and act appropriately. So we can see that uh, in relation to scams in particular, there might need to be a little bit of investment in systems to operationalise um, the strategy. Did you have anything on that, Andrew? Well, I need to note that I, I think the way at least it's been expressed at the moment is that these sort of obligations are expressed in quite general terms. They're almost sort of principles-based. So the government, I guess, consistent with what Charlotte mentioned earlier in terms of overall objectives, they're not going to be that prescriptive, I think, about particular measures that particular businesses need to do. But so it'll be more these general obligations. But of course, then as the market evolves and we see new measures coming into place and being implemented, there's going to be an expectation, I think, that the rest of the market will follow. So just keep on driving the bar higher and higher. Yeah. Then response. So taking reasonable steps to prevent further loss and then implementing user-friendly and effective scam reporting measures and complaints handling. So that's all about <clears throat> building on existing IDR processes that banks certainly have internally. I mean, this is quite an interesting um, topic if we're thinking about this being in the overarching framework and it applying to all sectors. So we think about the, the digital communication platform sector at the moment, you know, having an IDR framework is not something that they're required to have. So this will be new for them. And this very much mirrors sort of where the EU has gone in terms of making digital platforms have the ability for customers to be able to, to complain about and, you know, an advertising that might have actually been an investment scam that was advertised through that platform. So certainly I'm sure banks, you know, already have IDR measures in place, but this will be extending it to all different sectors that are in scope. Um, dealing with them fairly and promptly, we're all familiar with that kind of terminology, and then the ability to take them to an EDR scheme, um, which obviously currently have uh, for banks and telcos, um, but would be very much um, new a new world for for digital communication platforms, Andrew? Yeah, and I think a really interesting issue here, uh, which is flagged in the paper, but I don't think they have a solution to yet, is, is how do you achieve coherence between the various EDR schemes? In some sense, they, of course, they want this whole of ecosystem approach and they want a consistent approach being taken across sectors and everyone talking to one another. So I think there's going to need to be some mechanism for AFCA or the financial services sector to be able to, in some way, communicate with um, the telecommunications industry ombudsman and whatever is comes in for the digital platforms, such that that this actually works. Because it's it, it's all. Uh, I think if we had every EDR mechanism doing their own thing, then that's going to undermine what the government's seeking to achieve here. And then finally, reporting. Um, so reporting to other agency agencies, yes, reporting to the National Crime, um, sorry, the National Anti-Scam um, Centre, um, yes. Um, but also um, you can see from the paper that they're sort of expecting this kind of reporting internally as well. So reporting throughout an organisation internally, so separate reporting on scams, not just reporting on it as part of general fraud. Um, <clears throat> keeping records, you know, I think all the industry is used to record keeping obligations. Um, and then responding to the ACCC uh, where there are requests, and this would be overlaid on top of the other regulators that also would be able to request this information as well. 
Andrew, did you have anything on reporting? Oh, look, just generally, I mean, insofar as this is capturing internal reporting as well, then again, another a good place to, to refer back to in terms of what I think the regulators are going to expect in terms of internal reporting to boards and senior management about scams is if you go back again to that ASIC report 761, there is quite some useful detail there around at least what our corporate regulator uh, it was expecting at that time in terms of the information that such governance bodies should be receiving. And I'd be surprised if the ACCC viewed it differently um, uh, as to what you would expect uh, with such reporting. So going back to our framework again, so we've talked at high level about what the consultation is proposing in relation to the overarching framework. So then just looking at some of the mandatory sector focused codes. So what they've said is that uh, for banks, they want to have um, the mandatory code mandated in legislation that's administered by ASIC. So potentially um, the ASIC Act, ASIC would be the regulator and it's yet to be created. Uh, telcos, they already got a particular code which will be reviewed and updated and then digital platforms um, have yet to be developed as well. The regulator specific legislation and then building in and mandating uh, where the code or the requirement for the code uh, will, will be located. And so just to take uh, one sector as an example, so they have said that they want to have a new banking sector code. Um, uh, and they'll play, apply to everyone that's got a, an ADI licence um, currently. They said it will be developed by the government with enforcement powers to be given to ASIC. And then they've sort of set out what they're proposing that certain items and certain elements would form part of that particular uh, code. Um, <clears throat> so similar, for instance, to the e-payments code, um, which um, looked after by what's Paynet, but owned by um, ASIC you could potentially see a similar type of code being developed here, but obviously it's going to be made mandatory. I know the e-payments code, one of the um, requirements or proposals of the payments reform is to make that mandatory, um, but be made mandatory. This is something that the market has been calling for for a, a while about actually checking who the payee is when a transfer is being made or an authorised push payments being made. And I think the most interesting thing to notice about all of this is obviously the ABA has recently done their um, accord, um, which does seek to talk to a variety of these aspects that are already being proposed by, um, by in this particular consultation by the framework, and and I think you know there's generally a sense in the market that you know banks uh, were wanting to get out ahead of this um, and already to take some of these steps to guide um, you know what the code uh, might eventually look like. Um, Andrew. Yeah, no, I think that is one of the, the interesting points from this, that there's clearly a degree of overlap between the ABA's scam safe accord and what we're seeing in this consultation paper. I don't think that's any, that's not a coincidence. Uh, and as you say, I think that's, that's an example of an industry trying to get ahead of it, get some control over this process. And it'd be interesting to see whether we see that in other um, sectors as well. I think something that I'll be interested to, to see how it develops in relation to these particular codes is, is the level of detail to which they end up descending. I mean, the guidance that we're being given in the consultation paper, and again, we, we, you're seeing obligations expressed in quite general terms, 
which would leave a lot of leeway for different businesses as to how they approach it. For instance, implement processes to detect high risk transactions. It's not specifying in any way what those processes would be. It'll be interesting, I think, to see whether we stay at that level uh, or whether we go more specific. Uh, and, and if we go more specific, then obviously the devil's gonna be in the detail. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the key thing is for, for other sectors is do they seek to take the approach that the banks have sought to and actually try and um, get some control over, over this process. And also, um, if it gets to stay as an accord, because I'm sure that word was chosen deliberately to not have a connotation with the banking code of practice, for instance, um, which is quite granular. Um, so we'll see where we get to with that. Okay, just then turning now to some um, liability and how liability might be determined as proposed by the consultation. Andrew. Yes. So look, I think liability has obviously been a big issue uh, in Australia and overseas over the last 12 months or so. So scam victims seeking to see whether they can recover from businesses involved um, uh, in, in, in the scams and particularly as against the banks uh, who are often involved in the transfer of relevant payments and the like. And what we've seen in other jurisdictions is a variety of different approaches to that. So perhaps at the extreme end is sort of the UK approach where we will see introduced next year uh, a sort of a mandatory reimbursement approach where effectively the banks sort of split 50-50 between the sending and the receiving bank will be liable um, to reimburse scam victims unless the banks are able to show um, essentially gross negligence um, by the relevant customers. So that's quite a, an extreme approach. Uh, the, the, the thinking behind that presumably from the government is, well, it, it's putting the real, the, the, the emphasis on the banks to be doing everything they can to seek to, uh, to prevent scams. It really incentivizes the banks on that. But there are some concerns around sort of the moral hazard um, created by, by such a policy. Singapore recently has issued a consultation paper, which is just about phishing scams, but it takes a different approach, it really adopts a sort of a waterfall approach where somewhat similar to what we see in this consultation paper, it, it proposes some specific obligations on banks and some spe specific obligations on telcos. And what it effectively says is, well, if, if bank doesn't meet its obligations, then it's liable. Um, if it meets its obligations, but the telco doesn't, then the telco is liable. And then if they both meet their obligations, well, it's on the customer. Um, and so that's, that's the approach that they've taken. Um, in Australia to date, we haven't had some kind of systemic approach to it. Um, customers who's been the subject to, to, to loss. Some have sought to pursue claims through the courts. Generally, those have been unsuccessful. Many pursue claims through AFCA if they're seeking to claim against their bank. And at least in recent times, it's been relatively difficult for customers to succeed in those claims. AFCA has generally taken an approach that it's not the bank's responsibility to be maintaining some kind of watching group brief for scams, and that the, unless there were pretty clear red flags for the bank, 
then generally speaking, the customer is bearing loss. And I guess the question is, well, where are we heading? And does this consultation paper give us much guidance on that? And I think the answer is that the, fr the framework that they've released leaves, still leaves that somewhat up in the air. It's not all that precise around how liability will work. But I think we can say with some confidence is that we're certainly not in the short to medium term heading down the UK path. What this feels like is something sim more similar to the, the Singapore approach where, whereby if uh, a business doesn't meet its obligations, whether one of those general obligations under the framework that will be in the Competition and Consumer Act, or doesn't meet obligations under one of these specific codes, then in those circumstances, uh, it will be, be liable and that these sort of EDR mechanisms such as APCA and, and, and the Telecommunications Industry Ombudsman will be able to sort of enforce uh, those kind of liability um, mechanisms, but not something like the UK approach whereby essentially banks are almost deemed to be liable unless they can show gross negligence. I think that's where we're heading, but maybe we'll get more clarity as this consultation um, proceeds. Perhaps, yeah, just uh, briefly, one other thing that the consultation uh, discloses is that in addition to potential liability to customers, there will be, the, the intention is there'll be penalties uh, for non-compliance with non-compliance with those general obligations under the Act and also non-compliance uh, non with um, the specific codes. And so there's discussion around where those penalties should, should land. And, and, and one of the questions that's posed by the paper is, should we be achieving consistency in terms of penalties uh, across, the different, across the different sectors? Um, but yeah, I guess key point is there will be some teeth uh, to these obligations once they come into, into law. Maybe back to you, Charlotte. Thanks, Andrew. So in terms of next steps, um, we've got to the end of January um, after Australia Day uh, to um, pop our sponsors on the consultation in. Um, the government has said that they want to have their first version taking effect during next year, but they have a very um, active um, legislative proposed, uh, proposals next year, including digital assets, including payments. So there's quite a lot that they're proposing and wanting to do next year. Um, but in the interim, you know, we do have, as um, Andrew has mentioned, ASIC's report 761, which was their finding from the initial review of the majors, um, and, um, and potentially there could be more there um, coming with the, the other thematic reviews that they are doing. Um, so do watch out for that. So if you're looking sort of for guidance about um, certainly what ASIC will be telling um, um, government in relation to their expectations about what the codes uh, should cover and their expectations about content of things like a scam strategy, like Andrew talked about, then we definitely recommend that um, you look to that for, for guidance. Thanks a lot. Thanks.
you have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud, and visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com, for more insights relevant to your business.